1: Hello, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Paul, and this is episode 100. Woo! Yay! Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at slash. Wow, how good it is, Pod. So the trivia question I have for you today is not so much a trivia question today, but more of a Christmas trivia question, because, hey, look at the calendar. And there's a comment that's going to sound stupid to you if you're playing catch up with episodes. But here we go. What traditional Christmas tradition, I'll, I'll call a, a, tradition, a traditional Christmas decoration, is actually a parasitic plant? Think about that for a bit, and I'll have an answer for you later on in the show. Christmas, Baby Please Come Home, is my second favorite Christmas song and my favorite of the modern era. I think I like it because of its deceptiveness. It's got a very joyous feel to it, but at heart, it's the plaintive meditations of someone who's alone at Christmas because their significant other is away somewhere. It might even be a post-breakup song, but eh, I'm not really reading it that way. The song was written by Jeff Berry and Ellie Greenwich, uh, with an additional writing credit going to Phil Spector, because that's pretty much how he rolled in those days. You might remember that detail from episode 84, when I told you about Chapel of Love, which was also written by Barry Barry and Greenwich, with a mystery assist from Spectre. But that's all the mean I'm going to dish out for Spectre on this one, because he really did something special here. Phil Spectre's attitude toward records was essentially that an album consists of a couple of hits, and the rest of it is complete junk. So he poured a lot of effort into the songs that he thought were going to be hits, and I won't say he slacked off exactly on the other tracks, but there's certainly a difference in the overall sound. But when Spectre decided in 1963 to put together a Christmas album, he really gave it his all, paying tremendous attention to each track, and he used pretty much his entire stable of artists at that time to make the album. Now, there are a couple of interesting things to note about the songs on this album. First, of the 13 songs that appear, all but two of them are secular songs, Only Silent Night and The Bells of St. Mary are in any way religious. And the other thing is that Baby Please Come Home is the only original track on the album. Now, I couldn't ascertain why that was the case, but anyway, Barry and Greenwich demoed the song over the phone to Darlene Love, and she was all in. The recording sessions for the album took place in September and October of 1963. So this was a blazing fast album project, especially for Phil Spector. The bad news comes in the timing of the album's release. It came out on November 22nd in 1963. That's the same day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. So... It wasn't the monster hit they'd anticipated, and it wound up being the 13th most popular Christmas album that season, according to uh, Billboard magazine. Incidentally, if you buy the album nowadays, it's titled A Christmas Gift from Phil Spector, but that's actually the third title the album had. When it was first released that fateful day in 1963, the title was A Christmas Gift from Philly's Records, which was the name of Spector's label. When the album was reissued by Apple Records in 1972, it was called Phil Spector's Christmas Album, and it featured a photo of Phil Spector wearing a Santa suit and a button reading back to mono, which was kind of ironic considering that the next release of the album on Warner Brothers a year or two later... Used the same cover and was issued in a manufactured stereo format. Then there was a 1981 release by Pavilion Records that also used that stereo mix and that artwork, but the back-to-mono button was airbrushed out of the picture. It wasn't until 1987, when Rhino Records released the album on CD, that the mono mixes were restored under the title A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector, and two years after that we saw yet another re-release on ABCO, A-B-K-C-O, records that had the original mono mixes and the original artwork. Nowadays, you can still find it under the From Philly's Records title here and there, but that's mostly in Europe and Japan and it's usually various reissues. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, oh yeah. November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three. So the release date was bad luck for the album, but it was also the release date for Baby Please Come Home, so it was bad luck for Darlene Love as well. Now Spectre, still hoping to make a few bucks off of this composition, remember it was the only original song on that album, had some new lyrics written to remove the Christmas references, and he had Darlene Love re-record the song as Johnny Please Come Home, but that version didn't see the light of day until 1976 when it appeared on a compilation album. Spectre took another shot at releasing Baby Please Come Home in 1964, but again it didn't chart. And that would have been pretty much the end of it, but people have a way of rediscovering the old stuff and dusting it off, as we learned only a couple of episodes ago when we talked about Louis Armstrong. But before I move on, let me back up to the recording of the song itself, because there is some high-powered talent going on here. First you have the wrecking crew playing a lot of the instruments, so you're talking about Hal Blaine on drums, Tommy Tedesco playing guitar. You're also looking at Leon Russell on piano, that's Steve Douglas on the saxophone, and what was then a little-known couple by the name of Sonny and Cher on the record. Sonny Bono was handling some of the percussion, and Cher was one of the backup singers. After the Phil Spector era, uh, Darlene Love was mostly relegated to singing backup on records through the 1970s, but in the 80s, she began doing stage shows as a headliner in places like the Roxy in Los Angeles and the Bottom Line in New York City. This also led to acting roles on Broadway, and when she played herself in a jukebox musical called Leader of the Pack, well, it was a jukebox musical, but they weren't called that yet. Anyway, it featured songs written by Ellie Greenwich because that's when things started to change. See, Leader of the Pack didn't do so great from a sales standpoint. It only ran for 120 performances. But the show was nominated for a Tony Award, and Love came to the attention of David Letterman, who had never been big on Christmas tunes, but he is a big fan of soul music. So he asked her to perform on his show, and she agreed, appearing on December 16, 1986. Now... That first appearance had Darlene Love and the four members of Letterman's Band, and that was it. There's no decorations on the stage. There's no saxophone solo. There is a bridge, but the whole thing, it looks and it feels very, very sparse. But it was so well received that she was asked to come back year after year, and the production became more elaborate. More instruments were brought in, including string arrangements and horns and backup singers, and the set was decorated just a little bit more.
0: Darlene Love.
1: Band member Bruce Kapler, who played the sax solos, would sometimes enter the song in odd ways, including being pulled in on a sleigh, flying in from the ceiling on wires, or appearing in a snow globe. Her appearances were an annual tradition, right up until Letterman retired from television in 2014. The only year Darlene Love missed was in 2007, and that was because of the writer's strike. So that year, they simply re-ran the 2006 performance. And it seems to me that as the performance became more complex on TV, Paul Schaefer's arrangement got closer and closer to reproducing Spectre's wall of sound production values. And I think I see why. Because if you look at the footage of that 2014 performance, there's something like 11 backup singers, 20 musicians, including an extra two extra keyboard players because Schaefer's in the middle of the stage on a grand piano, And typically with setups like that, they're using like shotgun mics or parabolic microphones, which look kind of like radar dishes, to pick up the band as a whole. But during that show, you can see that every singer and every musician has their own microphone setup. The drummer is partially isolated from the rest of the band with clear plastic shields, and he has at least two microphones on him. So we're looking at something like a 30-track mix or a television show, which is airing in a format that's no better to the listener than FM radio. But my gosh, does it ever work. In fact, there was so much anticipation for that 2014 performance that the original song managed to make it to number 21 on the Billboard Holiday Song Chart that year. Darlene Levis continued the annual tradition by appearing on the uh, daytime talk show The View. In fact, her performance for 2019 was a duet with Jason Derulo. There was a little bit of controversy attached to it because the annual lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas Tree is covered by NBC, Letterman's original television home, and while they used the song, they didn't ask Love to do the performance, opting instead to have it performed by Skylar Astin and Alex Newell. Why? Because those two performers are appearing on a new NBC show debuting in January of 2020, and NBC is selling it hard. There have been a few covers of the song, including Bon Jovi, Joey Ramone, Adina Menzel, and uh, Mariah Carey, where it's on the same album as All I Want for Christmas Is You. But perhaps the most notable cover, and probably one of the better ones, comes from the band U2, who recorded it in the summer of
0: 1987. The down.
1: I'm of and the come. U2 recorded it in the summer of 1987 during a sound check in Scotland. That recording appeared on the compilation album, A Very Special Christmas, later that year. And for those of you not in the know, A Very Special Christmas is a series of albums. I think there are seven of them now. They collect Christmas songs that are recorded by pop stars, and the sales of the albums benefit the Special Olympics. And the extra cool thing about U2's version is that the backup singing was provided by none other than Darlene Love who overdubbed herself several times in post-production to make it sound like a fuller backup section. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what common Christmas decoration is, in reality, a parasitic plant. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad Christmas tidings, but it's mistletoe. Mistletoe basically attaches itself to a tree and then gets its water and its other nutrients from that tree. As far as its connection with Christmas, well, we can probably give credit to the Roman Saturnalia festival, which was the cover under which early Christians celebrated Christmas. The Romans, well, they would hang mistletoe in doorways in order to protect the house as a symbol of peace, love, and understanding. The tradition of kissing under the mistletoe started in the late 1700s in England, specifically among the servant class. By tradition, a man is allowed to kiss any woman standing under the mistletoe, and that a woman who turns him down would receive bad luck. And, if I might be allowed to bring it back to music, mistletoe first appears in a Christmas song in 1952 in the song I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I kind of felt bad turning that music off. That's a full in on episode 100 of How Good It Is. Can you believe we've made it this far, 100 episodes? And I definitely mean we, because this is a project I could not have done without you. There's been so much support for the show. Everyone has had kind things to say, even if you had a criticism. I I could sense that it was coming from a good, caring place, and you have no idea how much I appreciate hearing from you. And of course, since I am not looking for money for the show, I do ask that you support it by sharing it with someone else who you think might like it, and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. Ratings and reviews, they don't do a ton as far as rankings with Apple Podcasts or whatever, but once in a while, people will look at them and say, hey, maybe i give that one a go. I should mention, by the way, that, that uh, jaunty Christmas music that you just heard was called A Ukulele for Christmas. It's by Jeff Rosevere, and it's licensed under Creative Commons over at the Free Music Archive. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditispod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we take a trip into the 90s and look at the song In Bloom. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.